0: Welcome to the Philcraft Survival Podcast with your host, Mike Glover. Hey guys, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today we're talking about everything planning. Planning isn't the most interesting topic to talk about it's not sexy, it's not defense tactics. It's not anything that anybody really wants to hear about, but I'm here to tell you right now the reason why you need to listen to this podcast and understand this information is because it's the key to being successful. Whether you're conducting a, you know, a hostage rescue, a direct action raid against a high-value target or you're just trying to be successful in backwards planning off of reaching a goal or objective in your everyday life. These processes that I learned in the military, these processes that I learned in planning are the same processes that you can apply to every facet of your life. So listen to the information, listen to the planning methodology, write it down, and try to apply these processes to your everyday life because it's gonna help you. Mainly I wanna teach you these systems and these acronyms for you to take it into your survival contingency life Because the way in which special operations plans is based on contingency-based planning, which means that I am building a plan based on the primary plan failing. And to have a contingency to back that up is the methodology in which we plan everything. So we're always prepared for the backup or things going wrong, and we are never surprised. So when you have that kind of mindset, when you have that kind of planning process applied to your everyday life, to your survival life, to your, you know, your tactical or defense life, you're going to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And that's the whole point of this podcast is for you to be better prepared. Part of the, the ending of each podcast is say, stay alert, stay alive. Well, to stay alert, you have to live in a world in which you have good situational awareness. And then when you have good situational awareness, if you've pre-planned, things at your disposal that you can go to when things go wrong because you've thought it out deliberately, then you're going to have a higher success rate in surviving. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. We're going to start out with talking about some simple processes that I learned in the military and ranger school and the infantry and in special operations, and then tell a couple of war stories and then get you guys in the right frame of mind to apply your planning process, this planning process, to your survival life. So hope you guys enjoy. All right, so no shit there I was, I was in Ranger School. I was a private first class when I went to Ranger School, so it wasn't much of anything rank-wise, but it was a good opportunity for me to learn. Now, for you guys who don't understand what Ranger School is, Ranger School is a combat leadership development course that simulates real-world combat and conducting combat operations in a stressful environment. You know, this environment takes you over the hills and sand hills of Forbidding, Georgia, across the mountains of Dahlonega, Georgia, and down to the swamps of Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. So it's in three phases to simulate three different environments for combat. And you have minimal food, minimal sleep, and are expected to make good, sound decisions in planning, and in executing missions. And you do this all under the premise of fighting, obviously, a simulated war during combat operations. So when I was 19, you know, 18, 19, going through this course, it was a shock factor for me because it had a steep learning curve. You know, you're expected to take what you learn in a short period of time and then execute it and make it happen. And the tolerance for failure, the tolerance for making mistakes, is zero. So if you make mistakes, if you fail, you're not going to be successful and you're not going to finish ranger school. So I remember I was sitting in an operations order class, an op order class for short is a briefing format or a planning format in which you analyze information in which you get all the things that you need ready for the combat operation that you're going to perform and it sets you up for success. Well, I'm in this planning briefing And I'm falling asleep, I'm writing grocery lists instead of learning and understanding what's going on, and I'm really being a a pretty shitty subordinate, or a shitty Joe, as we would call a subordinate in the Army. Well, when you're put in charge in Ranger school, then all the pressure is on you to perform. You can't just half-ass it. So going from a subordinate to a potential platoon leader, and instantaneously in Ranger school is expected, and it happens all the time. So I remember I'm like writing a grocery list, right? I'm, you know, when you starve, you start doing stupid shit, like writing down a priority grocery list of all the things that you're going to get when you get out of ranger school. At the top of that list is like cocoa pebbles, which is, you know, one of my favorite things at that time, because I was craving sugar. I was craving fat and protein. Well, all of a sudden, I remember the ranger instructor looked at me and he says, Glover, you're in charge. Like ranger, you're in charge. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, I'm in charge of what? And he's like, Ranger, you're in charge of this op order now. It's your turn. So that happens unexpectedly, right? You know, you go from being a subordinate to where the worst case scenario happens in a real life situation where you could be doing an operation and the platoon leader, the person who's in charge of the entire platoon gets killed. And now the next person in charge is now in charge. Well, that person can get killed and in a combat operation you could take a whole bunch of casualties where the lowest level subordinate could be actually in charge now that's happened all the time throughout our history the premise behind the school is at the lowest level you should be able to understand the plan from the beginning to the end to be able to accomplish the objective and when i got put in charge instantaneously i had to gather as much information as i could by asking you questions, and then I had to execute. I had to take all this information, develop a plan, finalize it, and now I had to execute it. That's a lot of pressure for somebody under stress, especially in a stressful situation like ranger school. But the translation into your normal everyday life is you're going to be put and faced with situations in your life where you have to make sometimes life or death situations or critical decisions that potentially could change or alter the path of your life. Let's say, for example, you're in a survival situation and you have to make a simple decision like, do I stay or do I go? Well, that one decision based on analyzing the information, if you if you have no process in which to evaluate that information and you make a hasty decision that's wrong, you potentially could endanger yourself or your family. So it's imperative that you have a process or a method in which to analyze this information. And you're not just winging shit through life. You know, some people go through life and they don't need this process. They don't need a, you know, an acronym to be able to take information and process it. They have the street smarts, they have the common sense and they're successful. I remember on an Instagram post last week, I had an instance where I was put in a situation where an RV was burning outside my door. I was in a hotel room, I got there late at night. I had been driving all day I passed out and then woke up to people screaming in the parking lot. Well, this RV was on fire. And as I woke up, I realized that I had already experienced this almost a year before on my way to a charity event. And now here I was faced with the same exact situation. And because prior to this, I had kind of prepared myself for this eventuality, whether it's a car accident, whether it's a catastrophe on the road, I kind of knew exactly what I needed to do. Well, I ran outside and people were panicking. I started giving them clear, concise instructions so they can get away from the dangerous scene. And then I procured a fire extinguisher in which I tried to put out the fire and it was too late. So after attempting to put out this fire, I knew I had to make decisions in order to get my vehicle, to get my dog, to get myself out of this situation and try and help as many people as I could. You know, I got through it fine. The RV burned down in the parking lot. There wasn't a lot of issues. It could have been a lot worse. There was some lessons learned. Like one, when you get and procure a fire extinguisher, whether it's your own or somebody else's, make sure it's adequate enough to handle an actual fire. A lot of people want to check the block and put a small ass extinguisher inside their, their large RV or their large vehicle. But if it's not adequate to handle the actual disaster prior, then why do that? And that's something that you should identify prior to getting to the point in which you're trying to extinguish a fire and it's not adequate. It's kind of too late at that point, right? So when I look at this situation, I think about prior planning mistakes that were made. You know, the fire extinguisher should have been bigger. When something goes wrong, everybody inside the vehicle should know prior to something going wrong what the actions are going to be. The manager inside the hotel, when it went wrong, should have known that when there's a fire that close in proximity to the building, he needs to pull the fire alarm. And these are all things that are set in our daily lives, whether it's through protocol, whether it's through standard operating procedures, that's the deliberate planning that took place prior. So when it comes to actually executing an immediate action drill or a response, it happens fast because it's already been ingrained into people's minds. So the first thing I wanna teach you guys is one, how to do a planning process based on what I call the operations order or the military calls the operations order and what that information looks like when it's broken down. Now, this is kind of arduous. You know, I say, you know, this is easy, simple process, but you could really get inside the weeds on this because when you're analyzing information to accomplish a goal or objective, if you have a lot of time to do that, you could spend days weeks months doing this you know in special operations if we're doing a hostage rescue for example and it's a deliberate operation meaning we have a window of time that we need to enact this operation then we're going to u- utilize and allocate a lot of this time two-thirds of this time to plan this operation to make sure it happens fluidly and executes flawlessly so when i say and tell you guys that this is a deliberate planning process You have to take the time allocated and determine whether or not you have a lot of time to plan this most things in people's lives are deliberate planning processes meaning if i want to accomplish a goal or an objective i probably know when that goal or objective needs to be accomplished and then i can backwards plan off that time well some things you don't have a lot of time to plan like that and we call these things time sensitive targets or tsts where we have The same planning process is just broken down into a quicker format where we go through and we answer critical information and then we can make it execute or make it happen no matter what. So a few different versions of this exist. I'm going to give you the longer version of it and break it down for you so you understand it. This is going to be a podcast that you got to listen to a couple of times to get the gist of the information, but I hope you will do that because it's really important and critical and just increases your chance of being successful. All right, so this process, again, is called the operations order, and it breaks down into what's called a paragraph, and this is known as the five-paragraph operations order or five-paragraph op order. So the first paragraph is situation. The second paragraph is mission. The third paragraph is execution. The fourth paragraph is service support. And the fifth paragraph is command and signal. That's a lot of shit to remember. And rangers... And special forces and the infantry we break this down into an acronym a funny acronym that sergeant major eats sugar cookies so sergeant major eats sugar cookies situation mission execution service support and command and signal all right situation is analyzing all the information and it's a no-brainer right if i'm trying to go after a bad guy Well, I need to know the enemy situation. I need to know the enemy, what they are, who they are, how they operate. I need to know their capabilities. I need to know the weather. I need to know the terrain in which I'm operating in. It's analyzing all the information that's available. You know, you could be doing a hike with your kids at a national state park. Well, if you're just doing a hike and you're doing it and you have time to plan for it, and it's it's an extreme hike. You're going to want to know the weather specific to the environment at that time you just don't want to go hey we're just going to wing a trip and just go there and not be prepared you know you up, show up in board shorts or you show up in something not expecting bad weather and then bad weather comes in and then you're screwed you know so it's taking all that information and how do you get that information you know it used to be a lot of trial and error using human beings to get that information a lot of word of mouth. Well, nowadays, obviously, you have the access to the Internet, and the Internet has a plethora of information. Yes, a plethora of information that you can access. You know, you can get weather information by the minute, almost by the second at specific parks or specific regions in the areas that you're going to go. If you're you're getting information about the terrain, you might want to look at the Internet, but you also might want to go to a local ranger station and get topographical maps to look at, you know, relief lines, elevation specific to where you're going because you don't want to end up packing in Tiva flip-flops and then you need, you know, a Solomon hiking boot because you didn't prepare. So all this is essentially the information that you need to be successful in analyzing it. You also need to know friendly information. The bad guy information is, is good to have because it, it helps you plan the worst case scenario but you also need to have friendly information. What's my mission? You know, what's my objective? What is everybody else doing that's there, that's, that's friendly? And what are they doing with subordinate or supporting elements? You know, in the military, we look at supporting elements as adjacent units that are nearest because if we're operating in the same area of operation, we wanna have some coordination or some understanding of what they're doing. One, we don't wanna replicate efforts, but two, we want to do this friendly coordination so we're not running into each other, and obviously in combat it's really important. But also in in your everyday situation, your everyday life, if you're planning for something, it's important as well. You know, let's say you're doing planning or preparation for tornado disasters. I mean, think about it. If you don't know where the fire stations are, the police stations, the closest emergency support systems like FEMA, like Homeland Security when they set up tents and they set up first aid in schools, what schools are in proximity to your location. These are all important friendly elements that you need to know, especially when looking at the overall area of the area you're going to operate in. Another critical element in the situation is also identifying within your own task organization of who you're going on the trip with a mission with, you need to be able to identify who's with you and what their capabilities are. For example, Let's say you're going on a hiking trip with a whole bunch of buddies. Well, if you're going on a hiking trip, and you have a buddy who's coming along who's medical qualified, or well, if you're planning a you know camping trip or an outdoor survival trip, you want to have that kind of information, and you want to be able to disseminate that to the people who are you with. You know, if nobody knows Joe is a paramedic, and when something goes wrong, they're not leaning on to him as a paramedic because they didn't have that information. Or if Joe doesn't know that he's bringing his med kit because nobody considered him an option for medical support, then that's important information to have in the planning phase, not in the execution phase when you're sitting on the side of a ridge line when somebody just sprung an ankle. It's like, Joe, aren't you a paramedic? Yeah, but nobody told me I was a fucking paramedic on this hiking trip. Well, hey, man, we should have thought about that prior. So don't let it be a mistake prior to to leading into your operation. All right, so the next phase is mission. You know, a mission statement is an important, critical portion of your planning, especially when you're looking at identifying the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. You know, we operate in special operations based off of intent of our higher commanders. You know, there's strategic intent at higher echelons that can greatly affect what the tactical mission set is. So if I can't identify on a larger scale what the overall strategy is, I might be planning an operation or planning a contingency-based operation and greatly missing the big picture. Let's say, for example, you're planning an outdoor excursion with your family. Well, when you're doing an outdoor excursion, maybe the mission of the outdoor excursion is to teach your kids survival. Well, if your kids don't understand what the overall intent by a clear and stated mission statement, then maybe they're not focused on getting the learning objectives out of it that you are. So when you go, your kids get their cell phones, they're talking with their girlfriends, their boyfriends, they're bullshitting, you know, they're just not in it. But if you you make a clear who, what, when, why, and where mission statement of what your end objectives are, they might have a more vested interest in supporting that mission statement and accomplishing those objectives. So in mission statements and special operations and the infantry and the military period, when planning, We state them clearly during the brief back of exactly what we're going to accomplish through that format, who, what, when, why, and where, and identifying exactly where we're doing that operation or that mission. And we do that twice. We actually repeat it twice because we need everybody to understand that there's a clear objective here. And I relate this back to business. When you're making a clear business decision, that decision needs to be clear and concise and disseminate to everybody who's involved with accomplishing that objective. It's hard for subordinates to understand the big picture of what you're trying to accomplish if they're trying to guess what the intent is. So clearly state the intent, clearly state the mission statement, and do that a couple of times so they understand through the process of executing the objective of what they need to do and what they need to accomplish and recalibrate their brains so they're in it. You know, they have to be in it to, again, have that interest in succeeding. All right, so the next paragraph is execution. This is the, you know, sergeant major, the EATS or execution of the five-paragraph operations order. Now, the execution, some will tell you, is the most important and critical portion of a plan, especially when you're, when you're looking at plans that require execution or an action to take place to be successful. Some of the things that we look at in the execution phase is one, the concept of the operation. When I look at concept of the operation, I'm looking at a scheme of maneuver or basically how I'm going to accomplish this. You know when I brief it back, usually I talk about scheme of maneuver being the overall scheme of how things are coming together. I'm not talking specifics. I'm talking generally how it's going to flow. And then I go back and then we talk about the formations, we talk about the routes. We talk about the tactical mission to subordinate units. And then we talk the specific subparagraphs. This sounds like a lot of shit, and it is. But when generally speaking, when you're, you're looking at executing a plan, you're taking the information, you're analyzing it, and you're developing what's called courses of actions or COAs. These COAs are basically brainstorming or wargaming potential small tactical or executable plans on how to accomplish the goal. Let's say your goal is to have a better plan with your family in addressing a fire at the house. So one of the course of actions that you would have is what happens when a fire takes place on the first floor of the house? Well, if it happens on the first floor and it's not in the area of where the stairs are, then we're gonna evacuate everybody from the stairs out the side door. Well, when you brief that back and then you look at it, you look at that as a potential course of action. But what happens when there's a fire at the base of the stairs? Now, what are you going to do? Well, you have a different course of action. Now, instead of using the stairs, we're going to use a back window that's right above the stairs where you could safely get down. And then you're going to put all the things in place to make sure that can be executed. You know, these different courses of action are considered contingencies for things that you would do when the primary plan or the primary means of the plan go wrong. Let's take another example. Let's say during your everyday carry, you're developing a plan and it doesn't have to be deliberate like a five paragraph op order, but you're looking at potential courses of action for what happens when you're threatened by an imminent threat and you have to protect your life. Well, you're going to go to your pistol. If that's your everyday carry and that's the primary weapon system, that's you're going to go to. Well, if that doesn't work for some reason and you're within proximity of distance wise to the threat, then you can go to your knife and then you can go to your flashlight that has a sharp point on it to be able to do damage. And if you don't have that ready available, then you're going to go to your hands. So you have the primary, you have the alternate contingency and emergency. Now, I haven't really talked about this. I've mentioned it in prior podcasts, but if you're not familiar with it, there's an acronym called PACE or primary alternate contingency and emergency. And it's basically what I just said. It's contingency-based course of action development where you develop the primary means in which you want to consider as the first course of action. And then when it fails, you have the alternate plan. And then you have the contingency plan. And then you have the emergency plan. All these plans are meant to accomplish the same objective. But if the first one fails, then you can go straight into the next one Because you've already aligned and already put in the coordinated instructions required to make the alternate contingency or emergency happen. You know, a good example of this is the operation called Operation Red Wings that took place in Afghanistan. Now, I was in Afghanistan as a Green Beret when this happened, when Marcus Luttrell was in that hellacious gunfight with his team and his teammates were killed. He got away. And he wound up going to a village, my company was actually the company that was responsible for rescuing him. One of my good commander buddies who's in uh, a special forces group I used to serve in was the ground force commander of that operation. And he actually physically saved him. I've had a buddy of mine, Travis Osborne, who's now a civilian, who's the actual first medic to respond to him. You know, they were in a different team in my company, but I was on a team up in the mountains on QRF during this whole thing going down. Well, when Marcus Luttrell was put into this situation, he had contingencies built into his plans that his reconnaissance team planned for, but they started to go wrong quick. One of the the primary things that failed was communications. They had a contingency plan for, hey, what happens if we get compromised? And part of the compromising plan was when we are compromised, we need to get on comms and we needed relay that we were compromised, whether it was soft or hard to compromise. Well, they did that, but their SATCOMs failed because, you know, everybody knows that's been in that region of Afghanistan and who's worked with communications, period. You experience communication problems all the time. And especially when it comes to SATCOM or conventional RF or line of sight comms, you know, Lieutenant Michael Murphy went to his SAT phone, which, you know, he wound up paying the ultimate sacrifice because he was trying to make comms, which he did. Via SATCOM over his satellite phone, and he was subsequently killed. So they had all these contingencies in place, but things started going wrong, and they were down essentially to their emergency plan. You know, in special operations, we typically are successful in these type mission sets, especially in reconnaissance, because we plan for things failing and then we coordinate for things when we decide to go to a contingency plan. So, you know, in reconnaissance, Let's say I'm compromised on a sniper operation. Well, if I'm compromised, I know I need to go to an alternate course of action. Depending on the severity of that compromise, that might mean a helicopter ride out of the area. That might mean I have to walk out of the area. It means something. It requires an action. And that's the whole point of this pace plan. A pace plan isn't just stating or saying, hey, I have a contingency and my contingency is X. Well, if you don't have a coordinating effort behind your X plan, then you don't have an actionable, executable contingency plan. And that's the whole premise behind this contingency-based planning is you have to have a backup plan, but be able to execute that backup plan with action, not just talking about it. All right, guys, so the next paragraph in the five-paragraph op order is service support. Now, service support is all the things equipment-wise that you need to be able to facilitate the execution of the mission. For example, let's say we're going to do reaction to an earthquake and how to get your family out of that situation when an earthquake happens. Let's say you're in San Francisco and your plan of action is if an earthquake happens, we need to get out in the open and get away from the structures that we're in. And then you need to take whatever equipment that you have accessible and you need to evade and start maneuvering away from buildings and get more rural. Well, if that's your ultimate objective and your mission, well, you have to have the rations, you have to have the equipment to be able to facilitate that movement. You can't just say, yeah, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to make a, a two to three day overland movement to a rural location. Let's say it's my grandma's house in the country. And then you don't have the rations identified. You don't have the go bags identified. Then you have a potential half-assed plan. So in, in service support, we're talking about things like rations. We're talking about uniforms. We're talking about equipment. We're talking about arms and ammunition. We look at captured material even in a five paragraph op order because we're dealing with enemy personnel, and that could be procurement of things along your way. You know, if you're planning for a r- urban evasion into a rural safe environment, then you could be looking at acquiring equipment along the route. One of the courses that I run, which is an urban evasion to a rural safe zone course does exactly that, where we procure things. You know, this service support also includes transportation. You know, you look at your mobility platforms. This isn't just vehicles, motor vehicles, but this could be bikes. This could be public transportation. So we're talking all kinds of transportation. This could be rucking. This could be, you know, putting a backpack on your back and moving across land on foot. Another thing we look at is medical evacuation. Most of these situations, we plan for that worst case scenario. And that worst case scenario in combat is potential casualties that are wounded or that are killed. And we plan for medevac platforms. Well, in any survival type planning situation, you would do the same thing. You know, you would look at what are the nearest hospitals? What are the nearest police or fire or ambulance stations? What's the closest ranger station in proximity to me? And then after you've identified where these medical facilities are, you might want to do some face-to-face coordination where you're getting phone numbers, you're shaking hands, you're doing face-to-faces to to be able to seal the deal and finalize that coordinating instruction. Another thing we look at is personnel. Again, service support wise, you want to look at who you have going with you in your task organization. What are their capabilities? Are they a liability? Are they an asset? Are they enabling you to accomplish your mission set? All right, the last paragraph is command and signal. You know, signal is really important because it includes command, and includes communication. And communication really in every plan is imperative, especially in contingency-based planning because typically, you know, when something goes wrong, that requires a phone call, that requires a radio communication call. In command and signal, it doesn't just include external communication, but it also includes internal communication. You know, if I'm doing an operation and, or I'm doing a survival event or I'm doing a business development plan, I want to look at the inner communication and how I'm effectively going to communicate to the people within my circle. You know, this could be in a survival situation. It could be pro words or code words. It could be pyrotechnics. It could be, you know, hand and arm signals, challenge and password. Hell, it could be identifying, and coordinating call signs or nicknames for people inside your own group. You know, if you're doing a overland movement with a whole bunch of people in vehicles, for example, and it's a mobility movement, communications is a huge consideration. If you have your primary plan is you use a cell phone, you're depending on the CDMA or the GSM network that's available to you. When that shits the bed, which it will shit the bed in rural or remote areas, then what's your fallback? Well, if you don't have walkie talkies, or if you don't have RF line of sight communications, then you're not going to be able to communicate. And then when that happens... What's your contingency? It may be hand and arm signals outside the the window when you're driving to be able to signal back to each other your intent. It might be, hey, my hand is out the window and you'll see my left hand wave up and down and that signifies that I'm about to go over severe terrain. Or I'm going to give you directional because I have a passenger. I'm going to give you directional uh, hand and arm signals where my passenger is going to give you a right, right side or right arm out the window to identify we're going right and I'm going to give you a left up the driver's side. You know, these standard means of communications are things that need to be thought about in the planning phase, but also disseminated to everybody during the brief back phase. Another thing we need to look at is the command and control or the chain of command. I've seen some really awesome business plans fail because there weren't clear communication and who was in charge. You know, and when small groups for small projects start, there has to be a chain of command established and briefed to the entire team so everybody knows who's in charge. You know, you can't just start a project and go, hey guys, go execute and I wish you good luck. And then everybody looks at each other like, what the hell are we gonna do now? And then there's nobody overall in charge to drive the train. And everybody kind of looks at each other and they're like, well, you know, hey, you're, you're not in charge, I'm in charge. And then you see informal leaders or informal relationships develop where people think they're in charge, but they're not really in charge. You know, when I was in sniper school, I remember during the culmination exercise, the instructors wise, they hadn't determined who was going to be in charge. So when I saw this, I was like, well, I've been on operations in real world that kind of operate like this. I'll take charge and just do it myself. So, you know, it's that whole when in charge, be in charge. What's better during the planning phase to establish that chain of command or that chain of custody on how you're going to operate. You say, hey, I'm the overall commander in this operation or in this mission, and then these are gonna be the team leaders, Alpha Team Leader, Bravo Team Leader, and then everybody falls into their place. It's easier for ease of communications, it's easier for ease of maneuver and delegating responsibility, and really achieving objectives. Now I know in its totality, the five paragraph op order, it's, it's really difficult to go, hey, how do I apply that to my normal everyday life? Remember, it's Sergeant Major Eat Sugar Cookies. You don't need to really study up on this to understand the whole gist. What you need to remember is that there has to be a a structure. If you Google five paragraph op order, there's plenty of formats you could follow in order to fill in this information to be able to best plan this. The five paragraph op order is just a format in which we take information and plug it in. It is not the end all be all to planning because it takes into consideration Time and that you have an allocated period of time to accomplish the objective. Well, again, if you don't have the time, you just create a smaller, shorter format in order to accomplish the same objectives, but in a shorter period of time. And we have a whole bunch of cheat sheets and special operations and in planning. And on this podcast, I'll leave you guys the links to some of these cheat sheets for the military side on these these formats for planning. You know, planning is one of those things that. You could talk about for days and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of discipline in order to get through these planning sessions and having firsthand experience in this in the military decision-making process with mdmp i'll tell you it's painful it sucks it's really shitty because everybody wants to be on the objective everybody wants to be you know out in the wild everybody wants to be in the action but to get there and to be successful Requires a long, tedious, deliberate plan, or a minimum a consideration of a time-sensitive short plan, in order to increase your chances of being successful. All right, guys, that's it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Never thought in a million years that spend thirty something minutes talking about a five paragraph operations order, but this stuff is important. You know the takeaways of of having a five paragraph op order that you could apply into your everyday life is focus on the pace plan. Focus on having a contingency for every course of action you develop. You know, if you have a whole bunch of time, take that time and use it for planning. So when you actually do whatever it is you're going to execute, it executes flawlessly and you have a contingency when things go wrong, because they will go wrong. Please subscribe. Please leave feedback. You know, your feedback's really important to this podcast. You guys can catch us at PhilCraftSurvival.com Also on our social media feeds at SoftSurvivor, SOF Survivor, and at Philcraft Survival. If you guys have any questions or concerns, feel free to email me at media at com. That's media at survival.com. Until next time, guys, stay alert, stay alive.